So let's go to book of Mark, Mark's gospel, and chapter 6. If you're using one of the uh, Bibles provided for you there in the seats, it is page 841. So Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 6, I'm going to read verse 7 through 44, you follow along uh, in your copy of the scriptures, um, digitally print, however you have your copy of the scriptures. Verse 7 says this, and he, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, no, he, Jesus, is Elijah. And others said, no, he's a prophet, just like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king, asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and the guest he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went, beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them. 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they went and they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and over the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So we have three narratives here, three stories. How do they fit together? Do they fit together? That's what we're going to look at this morning. But let's pray. Father, we pause now because anytime we open your word and talk about your word, we want to ask you to guide us because this is your word and uh, we want to be accurate. We want to be clear. We want to be faithful to what you are trying to communicate here. And so I pray over the next few minutes as I have the honor and privilege to talk about this text, I pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do. No amount of preparation, no amount of illustrations, no amount of uh, rhetoric skill will be able to change hearts. Only your spirit can do that. And so I pray that each one of our hearts, my own first, and everyone who have gathered here today, I pray that we'd be sensitive to what your spirit has for us out of this text. And so that means that uh, we need to be free from distraction. God, we have an enemy that would love to keep us from focusing on you and thinking about you and thinking about your word. And so for the next few minutes here, Father, I pray that you would give us real uh, focus and real uh, um, uh, insight into what you are trying to lead us through here. So we, we recognize our humility, we recognize our dependence upon you, we just ask that you would do what only you can do. And may you receive all the glory. In Christ's name, amen. So, you know, as a teen, I grew up in uh, Michigan, the Detroit area of Michigan, and we had a pretty active youth group. Um, every summer, we had a youth activity where we would get into the bus or get into vans or whatever mode of transportation we had that particular year, and we would drive south, cross the state line into Ohio, start heading east a little bit, and we would end up in a city called Sandusky, Ohio. Now, I know there's a couple people in this room that know exactly what I'm talking about here, and that is we would end up at a place called Cedar Point. It's an amusement park. Um, they've got tons of rides there. It was the highlight of our trip, uh, for, with the exception that we had to do it in Ohio. Other than that, it was good, okay? Uh, but um, if you don't know anything about the Michigan and Ohio uh, tension there, you'll understand that. But anyway, um, as you can imagine, there's lots of great roller coasters there. It was, it was just a, a, a great time. And we enjoyed riding them. I remember riding one particular summer. It was so hot, and there was a ride there. It was called Disaster Transport. I don't know if it's still there or not. I haven't been there in years. But... Um, 
I rode that thing probably 10, 12 times that, that day. And the reason why, it was because it was an indoor roller coaster and it was air conditioned, okay? And so I was like, we're just doing this one again. And we're just doing this one again because we would wait in line inside and it was air conditioned. And, you know, we enjoyed riding those things. Now, I got to confess, as they get older, the appeal has waned a little bit, okay, on the roller coaster thing. Uh, I've ridden so many of them in my life. I was a youth pastor for so many years. I've been on just about every imaginable amusement park ride you can think of. Didn't always enjoy them, okay, but did them. Uh, so as I get older, it's, you know, it's not as a, it was a draw to me. But I understand it, though. I understand because they're thrilling, they're exciting, they're full of unexpected drops and turns. Uh, what made it so thrilling was the uncertainty and the surprises all along the way and you know, the, also the known elements of it, when you can see the anticipation, all that, that, was, that brought the thrill of it as well. You know, life is a lot like a roller coaster, and that's an overused metaphor. I realize that. Um, it's a very common metaphor, but as I was thinking about life and thinking about this text, I was thinking that, you know, in a lot of ways, there's, it's like a roller coaster. There's anxiety, there's fun, there's excitement, surprise, unexpected turns, satisfaction. Those are all terms that could be used to talk about a roller coaster, but also talk about your life, right? Anxiety, unexpected turns, there's excitement, there's thrilling, there's surprises all along the way. Our text here, what I just read to you, describes, um, and this isn't the, I'm not saying this is the main reason for it, but I'm just saying this is what it does, uh, it describes kind of the life of what these first uh, disciples were like. And a disciple means a learner or follower, if you didn't know, that's what the word means. And so as we're, we're reading these three snapshots, we have Jesus sending out people, we have the kind of it seems like an odd insertion by Mark to throw in this account of Herod, then goes, jumps right back to these apostles, these disciples that were sent out, they need to come back, and then that leads into the feeding of the 5,000. So we have like these, these three things here, uh, three narratives, and I think that's going to help us as we, as we look at that and compare it to life, okay? So that's kind of the goal today, to kind of look at these three things and see how can that help us out as we live our lives. And so here's a sentence for you today that if you, if you kind of, you know, park on this, you're going to kind of uh, hopefully uh, get something to think about throughout the week. Here's a sentence. Following Jesus is the only way to have purpose for this roller coaster ride we call life. Okay? Following Jesus is the only way to have purpose for this roller coaster ride we call life. You see, no matter if you follow Jesus or not, you're going to have ups and downs. No matter if you follow Jesus or not, you're going to have times of disappointment. There's going to be times of uncertainty. There's going to be scary times. There's going to be times of anxiety. Everybody has that, whether you acknowledge Jesus or not. But the difference is, is that when we acknowledge Jesus, all of a sudden the, we see some purpose in those things. It's not just random it's not just, you know, waiting for the next shoe to drop, waiting for some, and wondering if that's going to be the, the final thing that does us in, right? And so following Jesus is really the only thing that's going to give purpose to this roller coaster ride that we call life. That's what we want to unpack as we look at these three narratives today. So have you ever wondered what the purpose or the meaning of life is? Uh, some of you have some really good Sunday school answers for that question. You just know it right away. Some of you, maybe you're just, you know, think about it for the first time. But I want all of us to kind of wrestle with that. You know, why is it that you have breath right now? 
Why are you living right now in this moment in history, in your specific circumstances? What is the purpose? So part of that, of course, is to follow Jesus and to encourage others to follow him. Now you may think, well, I know that was the pastor's job. Well, yeah, but the pastor's job mainly is to um, convince others that their purpose is to follow Jesus and to encourage them to encourage others to follow Christ. So this is what I'm going to do. We're going to look at these three scenes real quickly here. We don't have a ton of time this morning um, because we had the extra things. But we're just going to kind of move through this very quickly. Um, and I'm just going to make some reference points to the narratives that we just read here. So keep your Bibles open to this text. And I may uh, you know, point you to look at a verse or two as we go along. The first scene that I want to look at here is the scene of sending out of the apostles. And here's what I, I think we can draw from that is that your life is a thrilling mission from God. Okay, every one of us here, your life, it doesn't matter uh, what type of circumstances you have. It doesn't matter what birth order you're in, in your family. It doesn't matter, but your life is a thrilling mission from God. And I see that because, you know, he sends these people out here. Verses 7 through 13 is where I'm looking at primarily right now. And he sends out these disciples. And, and we can make the parallels, too, that we are being sent out as well. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, right? It talks about the Great Commission there. It tells us that we should go and, and, and that we should make disciples. And there's the command. There's the, the, the marching orders, if you will, is that we make disciples. And how do we do that? By going, right? And teaching and seeing people baptized. And so we're on a mission as well, just like these people are on a mission. And you know, there's some pretty cool elements about this is that he talks about this idea of them being sent out. And, and again, we are too. John chapter 20, verse 21 Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the Father sent me, so I send you, right? But I said this is a thrilling mission. Where am I getting that from? I mean, look at the framework that Jesus frames their mission here in verses 7 through 13. Did you see the unusual parameters that he put around this journey? He says not to take bread and not to take things with them and don't take two tunics. What is all that about? And is it wrong then to, for you and I to, to stock up? Is it wrong for us to go grocery shopping and have a week's worth of groceries in our pantry? No, that's not wrong. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. But what is he talking about? And it's, here's the idea, is that he wants them to go out on this very specific mission. And he says, I want you to be dependent on me. Okay? You've got to trust me in this. And it's going to be thrilling for them. There's going to be times where you're going to have plenty. There's going to be times where you're not going to have enough. Uh, don't go having this stockpile of things. You know, um, I, I, uh, often when I'm working on a project at home, and, and this is how my wife and I are different here, is um, I throw something on the TV and just so I can kind of listen to it as I'm working. So last night I was working on a project, sitting on the couch, had my laptop open, threw on old episode of Monk. Remember that show? Remember that show, Monk? Okay, so, well, Tammy likes it. That's good. All right. Okay, so Monk, right? It's a good show, right? And so they go on this trip to Mexico, and he has 18 bags with him, right? And he has 18 bags, and the reason why he takes so many bags is because he has to bring all of his own bottled water, all of his own food, everything like this, and it's all in the you know, Ziploc bags and, you know, Tupperware. If you don't know the premise of, of the show, uh, look it up. Anyway, so um, we have this idea of of him bringing everything with him. That's a complete contrast to what Jesus is saying here, right? He's saying, don't, don't just, just go. And what is he saying? He's like, depend on the hospitality of people I'm going to put in your way. 
And so this idea of, okay, we're going to go and we're going to trust you and trust that you provide. And he says, you know, basically you got to take what I give you. Uh, wherever I send you to whatever house that you enter into, take what they offer to you there. Um, he says, and did you notice when it says in verse 11, and if any place, uh, or no, I'm, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 10, where he says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, here's what he meant by that, is when they would get into an accommodation, they'd go into a city and they'd find someone that's willing to show them hospitality, and they'd say, great, thank you. And they sit down, they get settled, and then if someone else comes by and says, hey, look, I've got a much more comfortable house that you can stay in. I've got a much better situation. You know, we've got a pool, okay, all right? And so, so you know, you're welcome to stay here. Jesus is saying here in verse 10, he's saying, don't say to the other people, hey, I got uh, plans changed. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hang over there. You know, take what you get. Don't be always looking for the upgrade is what Jesus is saying. And so, you know, this idea of depending upon God as we go along this mission, it's a thrilling mission. It's a, it's a mission that has to include the message of repentance, verse 12. They proclaimed that people should repent. So if you and I are on this mission to tell people about Jesus and encourage people to follow Jesus, that has to include the message, has to include repentance. We have to tell people that their sin is a problem. And we do this lovingly, of course. Okay, I did it at this Lord's Supper today. I said, we all have a problem. We all have sin. It causes separation. I didn't, I didn't say that with an angry spirit or with a mean spirit or, or a holier-than-thou attitude, but it's still true. We all have a sin problem, and we need to ask God to forgive us of that. That's the idea of repentance here. So whatever mission you're on for Christ, which really is the basic, every one of us has a basically the same mission here to tell people about Jesus and encourage people to follow him. Um, it has to include this idea of you got to do something about your sin. And the, here's the point. You can't. You can't do anything about your sin. You need Jesus to take care of it. So it has to include repentance. And then there's this idea that there's going to be mixed results on this. You know, there's going to be some people that, that they cast out many demons, anoint people with oil and the sick and healing. And I think that was really specific to this particular mission, uh, mission in this first century here. But we still had success, if you will. But we also had the warning when Jesus says, and if they aren't going to listen to you, just shake the dust off and move on. And so this thrilling mission that you and I are on called life has this idea of there's going to be mixed results, and it's going to be uncertain at times. We're not going to know if we have enough. We're not going to know, and there's going to be times of plenty. And it's, it's thrilling because we're following Christ. That's what Jesus is sending them out. You know, there's a company that um, lives on mission, and, you know, it, it's kind of uh, this company has... Um, you know, Christian comedians love to make fun of this company because they talk about it as like a Christian company, everything. And I'm talking about the restaurant Chick fil A. And, um, you know, they got good chicken sandwiches, uh, good marketing campaign. Uh, you know, everyone there is friendly. Um, you know, and uh, we actually have uh, one person that works for that, uh, uh, Jared. He, he, he's an employee at Chick fil A. And, um, you know, he, I really like him. I walked in there a couple days ago, and I was waiting for uh, my wife to meet me there. And this, this Chick-fil-A employee came up to me without me ordering anything, gave me a drink. He's like, you can have this while you wait for a nook. That's an awesome employee. So everyone needs to go to Chick-fil-A 
and Jared will give free meals to everybody, okay? Is that what I'm supposed to get from that? Is it? Okay. You know, this company, though, Chick-fil-A, uh, the, own, the, the founder, as Stuart Cathy, he said this about the company. He says, we should be more about than just selling chicken. We should be part of our customers' lives and in, in the communities in which we serve. Um, and you know that one of the things about Chick-fil-A is that they're closed on Sundays because they want to give space for people to spend time with the, the idea of rest and spend time with their families, and as their website says, and if, it, if they so choose to worship. That is something that they have. That's why they're closed on Sunday. But their corporate purpose, I looked it up. This is their corporate purpose. It says, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. That's pretty cool, Right? But there's this idea of them being closed on Sundays, which, you know, a lot of people kind of push on or whatever like this. And there was, in 2017, I think it was, I think it was December 2017, Atlanta International Airport had this massive blackout, okay? And so hundreds of flights were canceled. Hundreds of flights were canceled. People were, were stranded. And, and, you know, while the government was trying to figure out what to do with all these people and everything like this, they did tweet out... Uh, this message here. The Sea of Atlanta is mobilized at Georgia International Convention Center and will provide shuttle service for anyone who needs a place to stay for the night. Chick-fil-A will provide food for passengers. Okay? So Chick-fil-A stepped up and said, we're, we're going to take care of all the food on this. Here's the thing. On December 17th, 2017, that was a Sunday. And so they opened the doors and they said, this is about being on a mission here. Now, again, it's one of those situations where they have a policy that they're going to be closed on Sunday because they want to have rest and they want to have, and that was really good and that's good. But they didn't allow that to keep them from seeing a huge need that needed to be met and they were going to meet that need. They were living, uh, living out their mission, which was to glorify God. And so I say all that to say is that it was unexpected. There were some hard decisions that had to be made and whether they were going to do that or not. I said our life is like a thrilling mission here, and there's going to be times where you're going to face decisions. You're not going to really know which angle to go. But the point is this, is that we need to follow Christ and keep the main thing to main thing that we're supposed to be following Jesus and encouraging other people to follow him. How you do that, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Simple conversations, not necessarily massive events. Ask people, have you read the Bible as an adult? That's a great question to ask someone. You know, things like that, you just have simple conversations, but it's encouraging people to follow him. Your life is a thrilling mission. So what is the purpose of your life? Are you willing to accept that Jesus wants you to follow him and represent him to others? Are you living out your mission even when circumstances can be complex? I need to move on. We have a second scene here of John the Baptist here, and this is this, is that you may not be treated well on your mission. Uh, that is kind of understating it in the case of John the Baptist, <laughs> okay? Um, you may not always be treated well when you're living out the sterling mission. And that's one of the reasons I think Mark includes this where he does. I think he talks about them and, and that there's great things happening here. There's great encouragement that's happening. And then he ties it together by saying that Herod hears of this and assumes that, you know, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's, that's Jesus. He thinks that he's John the Baptist, uh, raised from the dead. And so he ties this together. But I think a, a lesson that we can learn from this narrative here, is, excuse me, is that, um, Lord's Supper. Anyway, um, 
It is what it is. So you may not be treated well on your mission. That's the first time it has ever happened to me. I've been preaching for over 20 years now. I can't think of another time I've done that. And I know some of you just want to die laughing right now. So just do it. It's okay. All right. Anyway, so, all right. You may not be treated well by your church after you belch in a microphone. So here we have uh, Herod. <laughs> um, here we have Herod saying that, man, this is John the Baptist raised from the dead here. People are going to treat you unfairly. I don't have time to go through all the story here, but, you know, Herodias had this real uh, thing against John the Baptist because he was condemning her marriage and saying that she was basically living in adultery and it was a wrong marriage and it would have been scandalous by any uh, uh, you know, factor, if you will, at this time. And um, John the Baptist was saying, he was standing up to the king. He was standing up to the leaders. And he's saying, this is wrong. We need to stand for morality here. So, you know, you know, you know ethics was much more important to John the Baptist than economics were. And here he was, as he was saying that I am going to stand for truth, and he was doing the right thing, and yet he was not treated well. In fact, he was thrown in prison. Now, Herod probably was trying to protect him a little bit from Herodias by putting him in prison, but he couldn't protect, he couldn't protect her because, you know, the, the daughter, Josephus, says that her name was Salome, uh, uh, did this uh, dance uh, before uh, the birthday party, uh, obviously, it was very sensual in nature, and uh, it led to really bad decisions. And as we read earlier, John the Baptist loses his head. Herodias was waiting for that time. This was part of her scheme, and, and her daughter was in on it. I, I had never noticed this before, but in studying for this message, when I'm reading through the point, you know, Herodias didn't ask um, for the head to be on a platter. Salome added that detail. They were in this thing together, and they, and it was just a, a deathly, deadly event, and it was all for someone who was simply obeying God and living out his mission. And so I say this to say that, you know, there's some preachers who will stand before a congregation and say, look, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be good. Everything, you're going to have more money, you're going to have health, you're going to have all these things. I'm standing here saying, I can't promise you that. Because the Bible doesn't promise you that. If the Bible promised you that, then I would promise it to you. But the Bible doesn't promise that to us. In fact, the Bible often talks about how that we will actually have a difficult life if we follow Christ. Because we're in this spiritual warfare. We're in this battle that we're in. So I'm just trying to be very real with all of us and say that, as we're living out this thrilling mission, we may not, probably not, will not get um, treated very well. In fact, the cost can be really, really high. And in fact, for John the Baptist, it cost him his life. Have you ever wondered why is the cost so high? Some of you are walking through some difficult paths right now. I know it. And, and I pray often very specifically for, for people in the church. The, in, in, I try to pray through the, the people in the church, but then I know there's some people just walking through some very specific trials and difficulties. And I just wonder sometimes, you know, why is it that some people feel like they have more than their fair share? 
Um, and maybe you feel that way about yourself. Maybe you think, you know, I'm willing to kind of take some lumps here, but I feel like I'm, I'm getting more than my fair share here. And maybe you are. But I can just say that God will not waste it. So here, here, I don't pretend to know all the reasons, the possible reasons of the cost being so high, but I'm going to share three. I put them all up on the screen at the same time, and I'll just, just make a word, just a real quick word about each of them. But in case you wanted to write these down, I put them all at once. You know, I, I, and this isn't an exhaustive list, okay? And I don't pretend to understand all the mind of God on these things. Um, but as I look at the scriptures, here's some things that I can point you to and say, here's the reason why the cost of following Jesus may be so high for you. Um, because we're supposed to identify with Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. See, that, that is right there. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul wrote that. And so it's part of our identification with Christ, a suffering servant. He gave everything. We celebrated this here. And... Um, he gave everything. It's a way for I to identify with him. Another is to you know, keep us from sabotaging the message through pride. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. I won't read the whole thing, but this was the time where Paul was talking about the three times he asked God to remove whatever was afflicting him, and God kept saying no to him. But the reason, that I think the important thing to understand is that Paul understood the reason. He said, to keep me from being conceited. That's what he said there in verse 7. In fact, then he says it again later on, um, a couple verses later. And he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. We're wired in such a way that if we find success in anything, we want to take credit for it right away. Parenting, our job performance, being a pastor, you know, whatever the case may be, whenever there's success, we want to find a way to get credit for it. And we can't do that with God. We can't do that with God. And so sometimes things come into our life where God just reminds us, no, we need to make sure that we're staying humble and we're making sure that we're, we're focused on Christ, okay? Again, I don't know your, all your specific circumstances. I'm not saying that if you're going through a difficult time right now, it's because you're proud. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm just trying to give you some things just to, just to you know, turn over in your mind over the next few days here. And the last one is to empower the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, we have this treasure, this, this idea of the gospel, and he calls it jars of clay, this weakness, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so the reason why when great things happen and we tell people and people follow Christ or whatever the case may be, and we glorify God in our lives, but yet we are weak and we are broken, then God gets glory in that. We say, then it's not about someone's personality or someone's giftedness that, that, that it gets the, uh, the foundation for it. It is God. And so, I, again, I can't, I can't tell you all the reasons why the cost is so high and why you will be mistreated when you follow Christ. I can't tell you all those reasons, but here's three that I just wanted to give you to say, maybe I'll help you give some categories to think through. Um, so, I, can, I can't tell you, I can't promise that your life is going to be easy, but what I can promise you and tell you with certainty is that God will not waste your trial. If it's not in this life, it's in the next life to come that you will understand the wisdom of God and that I will understand the wisdom of God. And uh, I give that to you just because it's the, the only truth the scriptures give us. 
you know, we don't understand how God uses the bad things that happen to us, and we may never understand them. John the Baptist didn't understand uh, when he was sitting in prison why these things were happening to him. But God was using it, and he used it. Uh, Old church father, um, uh, Chrysostom, uh, you see uh, when he was alive there, 349 to 407, Uh, He said this about John the Baptist, by Herod killing John the Baptist. He said this. He said, he cut off his head, but he did not cut off his voice. And I can't tell you all the reasons why life is difficult for you, but I can tell you this, that God is not going to waste it. Okay? God did not waste what happened with John the Baptist. To this day, we're still learning from John the Baptist and still benefiting from his his ministry and his following Jesus Christ. So are you willing to be mistreated in order to fulfill your mission? Are you willing to be misunderstood? Are you willing to be called a bigot, hater, narrow-minded? Throughout the ages, God's people have been called to serve in hostile situations. Jesus said he was sending out lambs among wolves. So I can't promise you this is going to be easy. I just wanted to know, are you willing to be ridiculed for Christ? Are you willing to have an uncomfortable life for Christ? So I think that's kind of what we can learn from uh, the, the narrative of John the Baptist. Then in that last couple of minutes we have together this morning, I just want to talk briefly about the feeding of the 5,000 there. And this is the last scene, is that here's the good news. You will be cared for while on mission. Okay? So your life is a thrilling mission. You probably will be mistreated on this mission, but you will be cared for on this mission. Uh, we see Jesus' compassion, first of all, and when he talks about the, the apostles, the disciples there, and saying that they were tired, they were hungry, he recognizes that right away in verses 30 and 31, and so he says, let's get away for a while. And so his compassion, he shows comp- uh, compassion for his followers, and he recognizes their need right away. And Jesus knows your needs. Jesus knows you're tired. Jesus knows the things that are struggling, uh, that you're struggling with, and so he's seeking to meet those needs and draw you to himself. Now, he may not meet the needs the way you think he's going to meet those needs or the way that you even think would be best to meet those needs. But he is meeting those needs. How do I know that? Or how, how can I warn you about that? Is because this, this little respite gets interrupted, right? Um, Jesus, his compassion isn't just for his followers, it's for the people who are not following him yet. And when they come around, then he sits down and begins to teach them. No doubt Jesus was tired too. But um, in verse 34, it says he's moved with compassion because he saw them as like sheep having no shepherd. He's very compassionate towards people. And so Jesus' compassion will care for us while on mission, but his power will also care for us as well. Did you see that in the miracle of feeding of the 5,000 there? The impossibility is possible with Jesus, and he will provide uh, what we need, and there will be more than enough. There's lots of details about this, particularly of how Jesus kind of is the, um, uh, the he would be seen as the Moses, the new Moses in this. There's lots of great Old Testament themes that are coming through here. I don't have time to work all those into this message here. If you ever want to sit down and talk about how we weave that together, I'd be happy to do that with you. Uh, but it's just a beautiful text here about how all of this is coming together and everything is culminating in Jesus. But what I do want to highlight is his power and his compassion here. And, you know, his power can take even the most dire of circumstances and turn them into just relief 
And I mean, can you imagine me, the disciples, and, and they're trying to be good. They're trying to be proactive and say, hey, you know, send them away. They need to go eat. And, you know, I'm looking out for them too, Jesus. And he's like, hey, go, why don't you give them something to eat? <laughs> Wait a minute. I can't do that. I, I can't do that. Um, and Jesus does this great miracle of feeding the 5,000 there. Interesting to me is that most of the people probably didn't even realize that a miracle had taken place. I never thought about that until now. Uh, until uh, studying for this message. Uh, you know, there were so many people, and they were scattered around. They probably didn't know where all the food came from. It didn't matter. Jesus did it because he cared for them um, and his compassion. Um, before I get to the conclusion, I'm going to just share this story real quickly with you here. Um, you know, every one of us who's had toddlers have, um, you know, when there's silence in the house, you start to get nervous. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, you know, you, 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 you go and you see that you hear the horse stories or whatever. Maybe some of you have lived it where you walk around the corner and you see your two-year-old saying, you know, I just gave the dog a haircut or, um, you know, I'm drawing on the couch or things like that. You know, kids have the way of doing those things. Nothing quite like this one though. Um, these parents, uh, Ben and Jackie, they were looking for an envelope. And they couldn't find this envelope and because they'd, been, they'd bought season tickets uh, for their favorite football team. And, and uh, well, and their dad had given them the money and they were saving up over months and months and putting cash in this envelope so they could pay back um, their father. Uh, it was one, a little over $1,000 in this envelope. They couldn't find it. Looking all over for this thing. I mean, they're looking everywhere. They're, they're just looking, at, you know, you start looking in weird places when you're looking, isn't it a refrigerator, you know, all this stuff, can't find it. Finally, Jackie finds it because she remembered that a couple days earlier, the little two-year-old had been helping her shred papers. $1,060 in the shredder. <laughs> all right. Got proof of the picture there, okay. Um, and so uh, she found it in lots of pieces and things like that. You can imagine the uh, heartache of this. They've been saving to pay back this debt. Well, come to find out, uh, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing offered a solution to them. The Bureau has an entire mutilated currency division, okay, which is devoted to redeeming burned, rotten, chewed, and deteriorated money. It's a free service to the public. Apparently, it handles about 30,000 claims a year. It redeems more than $30 million in mutilated cash. So the father contacts the Treasury Department and was told to send the remains of the money to Washington in Ziploc baggies. So uh, they're going to put this, they got the power to put this together and the power to grant new money and restore the situation. Now, why did I share that story? No matter how shredded your life may seem, Jesus' care through his compassion and power can put it all back together and make things new. So I can't promise you you won't be tired. I can't promise you that you won't wonder how things are going to work out. I can't promise you that you're always going to understand what the master's doing. But what I can promise you is that his compassion and his power will carry you on your mission until he calls you home to eternal peace, rest, and sinless living. So I started with this statement here. Following Jesus is the only way to have purpose for this roller coaster ride we call life. You're going to have ups and downs. 
with or without Jesus. With Jesus, you have purpose. Sure, you can expect difficulty, but you can also expect Jesus' care and power. Without Jesus, does your life really have meaning? How can you piece all of the circumstances together without him? So are you living on your mission? Are you living out your mission? Are you willing to lose everything for the mission? Are you willing to trust in Jesus' compassion and power and make your mission in life a success? And are you willing to accept Jesus' definition of success more than yours? So let me give you some homework and then we'll be done. Here's what I, you know, give you some things to think about throughout the week. Contemplate what you are willing to give up as you follow Christ. Okay? If you want to follow Christ, contemplate what you're willing to give up. And by inference, what you're not willing to give up. Okay? Evaluate what is most precious to you in your life. So contemplate, evaluate. Since part of the mission is to encourage others to follow Christ, could you hand out two invite cards this week? We have invite cards on the welcome table. If that is our purpose and we're supposed to live out our mission, could you hand out two cards this week or have conversations with people? So there's some homework for uh, things for us to apply this message, and I pray that God uses this to draw us closer to him and fulfill our mission. Father, thank you that we could spend the last 40 minutes looking at this text and these different narratives. And Father, I pray that um, we would live out our mission. And it's a thrilling mission that you've given to us. We don't always understand it, but we know that you care. And we know that we're not always going to be treated well. But Father, I pray that we'd still trust in your compassion and in your power, just like you put on display for the disciples here in this text. We love you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.